Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you guys had a great time last night. Uh, we were going to be out late, and I fe- fell asleep at nine. How great is that? I felt old. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, I, we were at a, a, a gathering with a bunch of little kids, and I was noticing a, a little kid play this game on his phone called Stampede. I don't know if you've seen this game, but it's incredible. In fact, uh, it's changed my life. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a complicated game. You simply... Uh, ride on animals and you lasso them and then you get points and money and you build a zoo and it's incredible. And I thought this was a great way for, uh, for my son and I to bond and we'll like build the zoo together and it'll be great. Except the way these games are made, they're like so addictive. I mean, there's not one thing compelling. In fact, I'm humiliated even telling you this, but when I think about, I mean, it's got so bad that a couple nights ago I woke up in the middle of the night to check my zoo so I can cash in my points so I can extend my yak uh, habitat. It was rock bottom for me. <laughs> but what I was thinking about, as depressing as that is, if it wasn't uh, this dumb game, Rodeo Stampede, it's something. Um, it's binge watching my favorite uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime shows. Um, a Man in the High Castle just came out the new season. I was all mesmerized by that. And all of a sudden, that's 10 hours of my life gone. Um, some of you guys watched uh, Parks and Recreation whole seasons at a time, all the way through at a time. I think that's like hundreds of hours gone, right? We all, like, there's, and what's happened is our whole culture has, I think, gotten to this point where we don't even know how to reflect. We don't know how to be quiet. Um, the moment I'm, I'm with somebody and I get distracted or I get bored or I get anxious, I want to pull out my phone and pretend to look at something. And even when I'm not uh, uncomfortable, I just, right, I'll pull out my phone and search the world, right? And, and we've kind of developed this p- pattern that we don't know how to be quiet, we don't know how to reflect. We don't know how to actually look inside and go, what in the world is going on with me? And we just go from next thing to next thing to next thing to the point where you wake up in the middle of the night and cash in your rodeo stampede zoo and get yak money. So the nice thing about New Year's Eve, I think, is that we actually get to take a step back I mean, in New Year's Day and we go, oh, it's, like, it's like this. everyone on earth has this moment to go, oh, it's a new year. It's a fresh start. We throw away the old and we look to the new. And so I thought, why not, right? On New Year's, let's, take, let's just do that. Let's throw away the old and, and look to the new. And, uh, and so like most people for New Year's, you start thinking resolutions, you make things, and you think like, what are the things that you wish for? And uh, I wish for the exact same things every year. Um, I want to lose 10 pounds this year. It's more like 15. Um, I want to save a little more money and um, I want to read more. Those are my things. Every year, it's the same things. And uh, I look on Google and sure enough, Google had the exact same thing. That's what everybody wants. I'm like, oh, I'm like right in the sweet spot of the world. We all want the same things. And, um, but we think about like, what is the thing that you wish for? When you think of 2017, what do you want? And I love, uh, I love the movie Cinderella and uh, and I love this picture of Cinderella because Cinderella, right, she wanted some things. She, uh, her dad, uh, her, her mom died and her dad married this woman. And she had two daughters and then her dad dies, right? And so she is now stuck with this stepmom with no family relations. And then she has these stepsisters who are so mean to her. And she's in charge of cleaning the whole house all day. And I mean, she's cleaned so much, she goes crazy. She talks to mice and stuff, right? I mean, that's what she does. She's in it all the time. And, um, and there's, there's this big ball coming, right? And her stepsisters, they, uh, they get all dressed and they're all excited to go. And poor Cinderella just thinks, 
I just wish I could go to the ball, right? And you're like, oh, that's so sad. And, uh, and what Cinderella does is she sits and she thinks, wouldn't that be so great? And she sings a song with mice thinking, wouldn't that be so great? And, uh, and sure enough, the fairy godmother shows up on the scene and grants her wish, right? She gets this beautiful dress, she gets the nice carriage, and she goes off and uh, goes to the ball, meets the prince, and they get married and life is perfect, right? Um, but what I think is so interesting is Cinderella had no idea what was really in store for her. She was, you know, she was the stepdaughter and her biggest dream was that she could maybe get a nice dress and go to this party, which would be so great. Compared to her normal life, that would be so great. If she could just get a nice dress and go to this party, that would just be incredible. But the fairy godmother's like, no, no, no. You're Cinderella. You have this opportunity to be a part of this gigantic story. You're not just going to get a dress. You're not just going to go to this party, but you get to go to the ball and you're going to fall in love with this prince and you're going to live happily ever after because it's a Disney princess movie. And she had no idea that that was even on the radar. And I think for a lot of us, when we think of, man, what does this year look like? I think we have like Cinderella dreams for ourselves. I have a version of myself that's a slight improvement. If I lose a little bit of weight, if I read a little more, if I save a little more, right? It's like the Cinderella just wanting the dress version of myself. But we have like way better than this fairy godmother. We have God in the universe who looks down, who loves us individually and says, oh my goodness, I have this dream for you. I have this plan for you. I have this desire for you that is so much bigger and so much better than you could ever imagine. And I love a brand new start, a brand new year, because it's an opportunity to rethink about, to reimagine, to re get our head around this idea that there's this God who cares about us, who sees us, and is inviting us into a much bigger and much better story than we could ever imagine. And so this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to take a look at a passage in Lamentations, which is right smack in the middle of the Bible, and do a little hard look on some stuff in our past and uh, some dreaming up of what God might have in our future. So if you have your Bible, or you can look on the screen, Lamentations, if you open the Bible right in the middle, is the book Isaiah, and then right next to Isaiah is the book Jeremiah, and then right after Jeremiah is this little book, Lamentations. And Lamentations was written, actually, by Jeremiah. So here we are. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. I think for me, and maybe for you too, Part of the reason why I don't want to look back too hard on last year, I, like I, just, I, I sum it up and go, oh man, last year was so hard. Or maybe last year was, yeah, it was okay. But there's a, there's a discipline to looking back and looking like deep into the well of last year. Looking deep into the well of who you are, of what's going on, of what you've done to others, what others have done to you, and to see what is going on. My friends in the recovery community, one of the, one of the 12 steps is to do a searching and, uh, and, um, and fearless inventory, a searching and fearless inventory of your life. I rarely do a searching and fearless inventory, but there's something that's it's just incredible. If you stop and you look and you go, okay, God, I'm going to look deep into what's going on in me and going on in the world. And this passage, it says, um, the great is love for we have not been consumed. And I think the people, the author of Lamentations has no right to write this. 
He has no right to say that we have not been consumed because the author of Lamentations, uh, this is chapter three. There's five different poems. And this is, uh, most people think this is the uh, author of Jeremiah. And it was after the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BCE. So this is what happened. Jerusalem, it's the hub of Judaism. It's the hub of their faith. It's the, their, it's the hub of their religion. Uh, the temple was in Jerusalem. They were God's people. This was their city. This was their inheritance that was given from God for all time promise. That was their promise. And all of a sudden, the Babylonians, they invade. They invaded, uh, the Assyrians invaded Israel. Then the Babylonians invaded the Assyrians and invaded Israel. And then they finally made their way all the way down to Judah and they laid siege to Jerusalem. Now for us, I like watching war movies as much as the next guy, I guess. And, but a siege is unlike any war movie. They don't make war movies about sieges because it is so brutal. It's unlike anything we could ever imagine. Like we think trench warfare in World War I is pretty bad. The Holocaust, really bad. Siege warfare is the worst. So what happened was the Babylonians, they come and they show up at Jerusalem and all the people of Jerusalem, all the people on the outskirts of Jerusalem, right, they all get wiped out. But everyone who could run inside the city, they run inside the city, inside the walls, and they're protected. And so the, ba- the Babylonians, they just they set up shop and they just wait. And they wait. And they starve them out until there's no more food and no more water. And the book of Lamentations goes through detail, chapter 1 and chapter 2, just horrific detail of what happens to the people inside of the city. Eventually, the Babylonians break through the walls, they crumble in, and they take over the whole thing. They kill everybody, man, woman, child. They, they send people off to exile. They slaughter almost everybody. I mean, it is just a horrific scene. And, and, there, and this is a poem. Lamentations 1 and 2, it's a poem about this, right? Someone's singing this awful song about it. And I think, when I think, oh, man, this was a hard year, or I have some hard things going on in my life, um, even most people who have survived really hard things throughout the world there are few worse things than surviving a siege. Few worse things. And here it is, Jeremiah, who survived the siege, who saw his city laid waste, who saw his temple and the, the center of his religion and faith laid waste. And here he is, he's lamenting. He has this cry out to God. And somehow in this, he says, because of the Lord's great love, we have not been consumed. Now, if, if you think, a lot of people have been consumed, but he had not been consumed. And I think for us, this morning, you're in church, you're here, you made it. No matter what kind of death and destruction is in your wake, coming here this morning, we need the reminder that because of the Lord's great love, we have not been consumed. We get to sit in this moment and go, okay, God, what is that death and destruction? What are the things in in our world that we grieve? What are the things in my world that we grieve? What are the things that I have done that cause grief for other people? And it is such a challenging dif- discipline to do a severe and fearless inventory. And so this picture, which is just this decimated uh, city, a lot of times that is rep- part of our world is that way. Our internal world is that way. And Jeremiah, from the, pro- the author of Lamentation, says, but because the Lord's great love, we have not been consumed. Whatever happened yesterday whatever happened last week, whatever happened last year, whatever happened in your childhood, all those things that are in our wake that got us this moment, we are not consumed. We are not consumed. And so the question then is, well, then what do we do? What is our next step? We're alive today. This moment we're alive. So what is our next step? Well, the passage goes on to say that God's compassions never fail. 
What an incredible picture. Because of the Lord's great uh, love, we've not been consumed. And so here we are, we're in this moment, the, the, the people of, of Israel were decimated. And the good news to them was, but God's compassions never fail. And God's word to us this morning is his compassions never fail. And this is a hard thing for me to get my head around because I have compassion, but it always fails. I don't know if you're like me, but I'll be, um, in fact, a, a few weeks ago, we were at a Christmas dinner party, and I saw a friend who I hadn't seen in a long time, and they had a divorce like four or five years ago. And, uh, and as I'm talking to them, like, like they were, it was like it happened yesterday for them. You know, they're all busted up about it. They're crying, and they're talking about some different things because things were going hard. And I was kind of like, dude, that was like five years ago. Come on, man, Right because I'm heartless, right? Because that's not how God is. God's compassion has never failed. And so this person, you know, five years, it's, it's like this open wound still. And for me, because I'm a jerk, I think there's appropriate amount of grieving for certain things that have happened in our lives. Depending on how bad it is, you have this much time, you have this much time. But what's so incredible is that God is not like me, thankfully. God's compassions never fail, right? It's like when you go and someone who's grieving and, you, and, you, and your heart just is like bends towards them and you give them this big hug and you hold on to them. And you know like the time like when people are really hurting and they just kind of kind of collapse a little bit? Oh, right, that's compassion, right? God's compassion never fails. And because for me, because I'm socially awkward, at some point I'm like, are we done? And so I'll kind of put my arms down. But you know, they don't put their, like they're still holding on tight. And like, oh, I guess we're still doing this. And you grab back on like for round two right? How cool that God, his arms don't get tired. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, are you still crying about this? God holds on and he cares for us and he is not the first to let go. And for all of my stupidness and selfishness about all that, I was looking through my journals a couple weeks ago and sure enough, 10 years ago in my journal, I'm praying for the exact same thing that I'm praying for today. God, you have to show up in my life in this way. God, you have to heal this in my family in this way. God, you have, like, 10 years later, the exact same prayer. It's almost word for word. I'm like, oh my gosh, have I not even grown? Has God not even done something in me yet? And so I think all of us need to know that there is no time frame for grief. There's no time frame of appropriate grief. And we as a church, me as a pastor, we all need to model the compassion that God has. That his compassion never fails. His arms never get tired from holding us. He never gets bored from sitting next to us as we weep and as we cry and as we lament. His passions never fail. In fact, this passage goes on to say, for they are new every morning. Every morning is a brand new day. It's a fresh start. It's the beginning of a whole new thing. And I love that this passage because when I think of things that are really hard, like sometimes like in the hardest moments, right, you just want to go to sleep and you wake up and like, okay, it's a new day. And maybe you can make it a, like till breakfast that day until like you just crumble about whatever it is. And God's like, it's a new day. It's a fresh start. I love this picture because when I see this woman running, you can't tell if she's in the front of the pack or she's in the back of the pack. I mean, she looks like she's really struggling. And I can totally relate with her. I can relate to running and struggling maybe. And uh, a few years ago, I, I ran this marathon and uh, I found there's two different ways that you can run. When you're running at the front of the pack, it's incredible. Like you're on the top of the world. You can't, I mean, you just feel great. You're with like the champions. And then uh, when you're in the back of the pack, it's a whole different deal. Now running, I'm rarely in the front of the pack. Um, but when I ran this marathon, I had very low expectations. In fact, I was just gonna thought if I could run a 10 minute pace 
for 26 miles, I would be great. And so I trained really hard. And by mile 18, I see my family and they're all cheering me on. And I'm like, yes, I'm the champion of the world. Mile 18, I'm killing this thing. I'm running, like there are a lot of people in front of me, but for me, I was at the front of my personal pack with low expectations. And so I'm feeling great, I'm running strong. And so I'm like, I'll see you at the finish line. And then it gets to be mile 20 and all of a sudden I realize, oh no, my body is starting to fail me here a little bit, but it's only six more miles. How far can that be? So I keep running, but sure enough, by mile 21, all of a sudden the wheels start coming off of this thing. And I know it was bad because like there's all the people who wanted to run a 10 minute pace. Like we all were kind of like in the same pack. And all of a sudden this whole pack of people moved past me. And I'm like, ah, that's okay. I'm still running. And all of a sudden the pack of old, I mean, of really fit women, they all kind of passed me. And I'm like, well, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. God bless. You know, I'm an, I'm an egalitarian, so that's good for them. But then all of a sudden, the old men passed me. And I'm like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, and I'm starting to do the calculations, and I realize I'm not going to be able to end on my ending time. All the old men have passed me. And all of a sudden, my, my, whole, my heart just sunk. I was so tired, and I was so discouraged. And it was bad, because after the old men passed me, then it was like the old women uh, passed me. And then to make matters worse, there was like this guy in a wheelchair, and he passes me. And I'm like, that's it. I got to the finish line, Kay's like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, I'm never doing that again. That was the worst. I was so discouraged. But when I think of this idea that our, God's mercies are new every morning, a lot of times, it's not that he just gives us a break from our sin. He doesn't just give us a break from our trials. When his mercies are new every morning, he actually picks us up and he plops us back to the front of the race. We don't have to like catch our breath and then we have to catch up. We're plopped right back in the race. When Kate and I were first uh, married, uh, I was in charge of our finances and I got us in a little bit of financial trouble because I didn't know how to balance a checkbook or do anything really. I just did it by feel, which isn't a good way to go. Um, but we did, we got into some, uh, some, some trouble financially. And I don't know if you ever felt that way when you, all of a sudden your credit card bill is like, it's this overwhelming debt. And you're like, how in the world Am I going to deal with that? How am I going to pay for that? And, uh, and a lot of times I think for us, we think, man, if God forgives us, it's like a relief. And a lot of times for me, the way that I end up feeling about it, it's like debt relief. Whereas then goes, listen, we'll do zero interest or 1% interest and you can just pay it off for the rest of your life, like a school loan, right? Um, but that's not a relief. It's like, it, it's this momentary relief. But I'm, this one time when we were really stuck, my dad ended up giving us some money and we cleared the decks. And we paid off our credit card and we had zero debt. And it was like this relief. It wasn't the zero interest debt that we could pay the rest of our life and had to catch up. God's mercies are not that. It's not just this momentary uh, thing where God says, I'm not mad at you right now. It wipes it away forever and gives us a clean deck. I love this passage in Acts. It says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's like good old school Christian theology, right? We're going one way. God says, repent. We turn ourselves away. We turn our back to sin and we say, God, I'm going to move towards you. We move towards God and that all of our sins are wiped out, right? Jesus' death on the cross, he covers all of our sins. We ask God to forgive us. He casts our sins as far as from the east or the west. Our, our debt has been paid. But I love the way this passage ends, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Right? Having a debt with zero interest is not refreshing. Having your debt wiped out totally is refreshing. So he goes on to say that your mercies are new every morning. So these things that have consumed us, these things that we need compassion, God never gets tired. He never grows weary. He is with us. And every morning, his compassions are brand new towards us. And it goes on to say, for great is his faithfulness. For me, the way that I naturally approach God is I am the center of the universe 
If I'm having a good day, then God's great and so good and faithful. If I'm having a bad day, God has abandoned me. If I'm having a good day, I'm a good dad. If I'm having a bad day, I'm a bad dad. Like, however I'm feeling, however I'm doing, that is how the whole world is doing. But I love this passage of Scripture because it is not about you and it is not about me. It is not about this moment peak or this moment valley. That the anchor of our theology, the anchor of our moving forward is that God is faithful. He's the center, that he is the rock. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, For every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What I think is incredible, like when you think of the sun, like if you take a picture from space, like from the Hubble telescope, you see the picture of the sun. It's this glowing ball of fire, and it's beautiful, right? And you, you look at it in summer and winter. You look at it from 50 years ago, from 50 years from now. It's going to look exactly the same. It doesn't matter what time. doesn't matter what, from what position. It's this globe of fire. And you're like, that's what the sun looks like. But for us, we live on Earth, and the sun looks so different. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's summer, if it's winter, if it's dawn, if it's dusk, if it's high noon, if it's smoggy, if it's clear, right? The sun always looks different. And so then we react. We go, oh, look, the sun's always changing. But for us, we need to remember that God never changes, that God is faithful yesterday, he's faithful today, and he'll be faithful tomorrow. And so when we think about, God, what in the world do you have for us? The reason why we can stop and we can make a fearless inventory of our life, the reason why we can search deep into who we really are, into the garbage that's really happening to us, to the garbage that's really happening into the world, is not because we, it is on us to fix it or to make it better. It is because God who never changes, God whose heart for the world never gets tired, God whose um, forgiveness extends to everybody, because of who God is, we can actually look deep into who we are, into who God is. And I love the way this passage ends. It says, and I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. I, love I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, I will wait for him. All of us have these tapes in our heads from childhood, from yesterday, from whatever, that kind of steer who, what we do. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I fit enough? What, you know, like, we all have these ways and those things we tell ourselves over and over and over again. And most of those tapes are totally inappropriate and wrong and not helpful. This passage of scripture in Lamentations, these people who have just watched their city be totally destroyed and devastated, he says, I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. Now the word portion in Hebrew is this word kalak, and it's only a couple, found a couple times in scripture. Um, there's a Psalm 73. It says this, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, this psalm, Psalm 73, is one I, can, I find myself relating to a lot. It's written by this man, Asaph, who was a Levite. He was a priest. And uh, what he was is he, was, he watched the world around him, and he saw all of these hoodlums, right? All these people who were just awful jerks, who hated God, who were living large, who were having a perfect and great life. Everything they did was perfect. They felt no pain. It's a lot like how you feel like your freshman year in the dorms. You look around, and, and it's the first semester freshman year in the dorms, right, where there's no accountability, no rules, and you haven't gotten your grades yet. So it's like crazy, right? And Asaph's like, I'm trying to love God, and everybody's doing whatever they want, and it's going crazy. 
And he gets so upset and he gets so frustrated. In fact, at one point he says, God, I wish you would just like smash their mouths. Like that's how mad he is. He's just so, so upset that God would allow these people who are just turning their back on God to have such good lives. And for him, he like freaks out. But at the end of the psalm, he has this moment. He says, okay, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. And he's reminding himself of the promise that God made. For back in Numbers and Deuteronomy, when the people of Israel showed up on the promised land, God divided up all of the, all of the land. So this word uh, portion, this Hebrew word kalak, uh, means portion or, div, or, or dividing. And so what happened is they took the, uh, the, the Israel land, the, the land, and divided 11 ways. Now there are 12 tribes of Israel, but only 11 divisions. Because the, the, the Levites, the priests, the promise was, listen, you don't get a portion of the land. All the other tribes will get a portion of the land and they'll make money and they'll raise cows and life will be great and they'll give some of their money to you so that you can have food. But your portion is the Lord. That's your portion. You are my special people who are going to stand in the gap of these people and me and you're going to help them tell them who I am and atone for their sins and be this mediator for these two people, for you are the, for I am your portion. And so this is this passage that we say over and over again, that the Lord is our portion, that he is the one who brings us value and who sustains us and who cares for us. And it's, I mean, it's sad to say, but I think sometimes the older I get, I look back and I just think, that's just, that's stupid. That's silly. That would never happen. I can't even imagine being like loving God so much that nothing else would really matter. But really, that's just me being cynical because I've known in my own life that me being in relationship and being in love meant that I didn't care about a lot of things that I care about now. When Kay and I first got married, we were 22, if you can believe that. We were just babies. I couldn't even shave or anything back then. And we had no money. I brought a boombox to our wedding. And I said, this is all that I have. And, uh, and Katie had some old dishes. And, uh, and we moved to Napa, and we were going to start our own new life together. We had this tiny little apartment, and we did not have any furniture at all. And so we moved to Napa, and it's this, it was this older congregation. And, and uh, our pastor said, listen, this little old lady died, and you can have all of her furniture. I'm like, that's great, right? Who doesn't want to start their whole new life having dead old lady furniture fill your whole house, you know? But we didn't care because we were so in love right? We just couldn't believe that God allowed us to find each other and to fall in love. And we didn't care if we had to sleep on a, on a mattress that was on the floor. And we didn't care that our, our kitchen table was super gross. And we had some weird thing that we put a TV on that I still to this day don't even know what it was, but it fit a TV. And so it was great. Because Katie was my portion. I was so in love with her that all of a sudden I didn't care about any of that stuff. And how sad that as the years go by, I think, well, now we got to make sure we get a good couch. That's what matters. And if the couch, and if a kid spills something on the couch, I rage. I get so mad. This is the good couch, right? Whatever happened to the dead little old lady couch? I wouldn't care about that couch. And so God, it is true that when we've had those places, when we are so in love, when we are so caught up in relationship, when we know that we are loved and that's where our value is, we are at such peace. And that is the prayer. That is the promise that God offers us this morning. He says, that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is our portion forever. I love the movie uh, Toy Story, and there's this scene uh, where, where Woody, you know, he's trying to uh, tell, tell Buzz Lightyear and the dinosaur, he's like, listen, we're Andy's. We're toys. We don't just like go and do whatever we want. We belong to Andy. Andy is, our, uh, he's our guy. We are made to be with him, to bring him joy. We, he is our portion. Andy is the one who owns us. 
I think, man, if, if Woody can figure this out, I think for sure we could figure out. Because we are so much bigger than toys. We are so much more complex than toys. And our God has so much more love than Andy ever could. But I found this, this cute little video that made me tear up a little bit. If I was emotional like Jeff, I would have actually cried. But I, I did, I teared up for a second. But watch this little video. Isn't that a sweet little video? I think, man, if Andy could figure that out, wouldn't that be great if we could figure it out? Wouldn't it be great that if this year we didn't just try to do a little self-improvement, do the Cinderella version of just going, man, if I just had a nicer dress this year, if I could just go to the ball, then everything will be great. But what if we leaned into what God actually might have for us to be our portion, to see the creator of the universe sees us individually. He knows all of the death and destruction that's gone on in us and around us. His compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. And what if this year we repeat to ourselves that the Lord is our portion. The Lord is who we'll wait for. One of my favorite pictures of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is this gigantic banquet table. It's where God is hosting this incredible dinner party with all of his best friends, with the best food, with the best wine. And what an incredible time it is to be together. But when we're foolish, we just think it's all about the good food or the good wine or the good friend. But when we recognize that sitting at the banquet table with God as our creator and our savior and our Lord, all those other things get worked out along the way. And so my hope for myself this year, my hope and our prayer for you as well, is that this is the year that we don't just lose 10 pounds and we don't just get a little smarter and we don't just save a little more money, but this is the year that we run towards Christ with all of who we are. This is the year that we have never-ending compassion on one another, that we remind each other that as God's mercies are new every day. For the Lord is our portion. Amen.